Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Davis, director of the Ohio Department of Developmental Disabilities. And we've got a very special guest with us today that I'm delighted is taking the time to visit with us. And this is Dr. Mary Applegate, medical director at the Ohio Department of Medicaid. Dr. Applegate, thank you for joining us. So I think for all of you listening that uh, after this conversation, we have lots to chat about. We'll focus a lot on on the COVID-19 virus, but uh, you know, by the end of this conversation, I expect most of you will have the same kind of affection and admiration that, that I have for Dr. Applegate. So we appreciate this. So let's just maybe, Dr. Applegate, if you would start, chat a little bit about your sort of rich and varied and impressive history. Well, I'm not quite sure about all of that. I'm actually a small town pediatrician and internist. I've been in practice for over 25 years in Union County. Uh, and I have experience from kind of cradle to grave. And so I think I was pretty much made for a, a job like this because I'm interested in everything. And I also realized that I might not be able to reach my full potential as a physician if I went someplace where they had tons of specialists and lots of help. And that point was to kind of make the world better. And so I went someplace where there were not a lot of resources. So to that end, it really has been a growth journey. And over the years, uh, as I kept doing some of the repeated activities, you know, running to the nursery to do life-saving things for newborns, I thought to myself, you know, we've got to make the system better. Uh, you know, just fixing it at the nth hour is not actually going to help as many people. And that's actually how I got to the Medicaid agency. Uh, as you know, the Medicaid agency uh, covers health services for approximately 3 million Ohioans, uh, both elderly uh, the disabled, and, and of course, newborns. We cover over half of the deliveries in the state. Uh, so it really has been my honor to to uh, serve in this particular position as the first full-time medical director for the state. So that's, that's actually, I think, direct to how we met. It is how we met. But you, you know, during your time with the state, you've also, you've, spe you've had some experience with viruses, right? So you've developed an expertise, uh, I think, um, certainly in that sort of line uh, as well. Uh, yes. So uh, a few years ago when we had uh, the episode with Ebola in Ohio, I actually was, was lent to the Department of Health to actually help during that particular time. Um, I actually take care of so many people. And of course, in practice, you learn a lot of infectious disease and infection control. And, and to me, trying to learn more about uh, COVID-19 and help put systems and processes in place that help protect residents was really kind of a natural uh, continuation of not just education, but advocacy for people in the program. Yeah, that's true. So if we, if we want to jump into, you know, to the COVID virus, uh, you know, do you have, is there, is there a way to sort of summarize it? Most people know or think they know, but, you know, from your sort of intimacy to it, is there is a way to summarize this virus that's perhaps different than others? Yes, actually, I don't think the world has seen anything quite like COVID-19. So, of course, we look at SARS-1 and MERS that uh, really was much more prominent in different parts of the world. Uh, pandemics don't happen often, perhaps once in a hundred years or so. So this may be the health event of our lifetimes, actually. So if there's ever a time to step forward and do our best work, uh, what are we waiting for? You know, I actually think the time is now. 
uh, what's interesting about this particular virus is that approximately half of the spread is from people who are not obviously ill. So you cannot look at someone and, and say, oh, you know, they're sick, they have COVID, I better, you know, help them be isolated and stay away from them and wear my mask and wash my hands just for them when I'm around them. So because of that, we very much have had to go to universally uh, thinking everybody has it all of the time. So the single most important thing that we can do as a state actually is the social distancing. So if you cough, your the droplets kind of go around six feet or so away from you. If you put a mask on, it's only two to three feet away from you. And that's actually why you see the guidance around stay at least, at least six feet away from people, always wear a mask. Uh, other countries, I think you're aware, wear masks mandatorily when they're out and about, uh, not just when there's a requirement for that. Uh, hand washing is very important. And then the sanitization of, of surfaces. So if you cough, it, the virus lands on a surface that actually can stay there for hours to days, depending on the surface. So if you touch your hand on the top of the table and then you rub your nose because it's allergy season or scratch your eyes, and that's actually how you inoculate yourself. So this virus actually is different uh, because of that, it's also different because a little bit like influenza, uh, residents and patients who are older are much more likely to have very severe illness. So uh, the people who have died have been disproportionately from nursing homes, for example, and have disproportionately represented minority populations or those who have a lot of chronic underlying conditions like diabetes, high blood pressure, and kidney failure. So that's, that's the lay of the land. In Ohio, we have managed to flatten the curve more than many of the other states, actually, because we recognized this risk early and started doing that social distancing, hand washing, mask wearing. So uh, we're, we're very fortunate to not have exhausted and overwhelmed the healthcare delivery system, as we've all seen on the news in New York and New Jersey in, in particular. Uh, but I would say that there's still opportunity to have that happen. So as much as people feel more relaxed because we dodged the bullet, so to speak, 95% of the journey is still ahead. So this, this little lull right now is really just the end of the beginning from my perspective. So I think your comments about um, you know, trying to live with the virus and trying to uh, take advantage of really this different time to reform our systems to work better for everybody is, is really right on point. So do we have, is there any, um, do we have a sense of the lifespan of this virus? In terms of how long it will be with us, that's actually not clear, uh, partly because we have not established all of the properties of the virus. So for example, if I get COVID, um, how long will I be immune? There are coronaviruses that actually cause the common cold. So about 10 to 20% of the common cold, but you can get your common cold every year, you know, even more than once in a year. So the immunity doesn't last long. Whereas there are other viruses like the chickenpox virus, where once you've had it, you know, you're generally good for a few decades until you, you're told you need your shingles vaccine is, you know, after you're 50 years old. So the virus is new enough that the scientific and clinical community is still studying this. We likely will have an idea about that more from 
China and Europe who actually was affected with the virus before we were. So because we do not know all of the properties of the virus, and we also don't totally know the degree to which uh, society will be able to maintain a culture of this kind of respect with mask wearing and social distancing and that kind of deep concern for others, uh, we actually do not know about the entirety of the future shape that this will take. So if we have a, a, a period of time, whatever that is, where we have to coexist with the virus, then then uh, let's. I think you've covered it, but it's worth saying it again. Some of our best tools are some of the most basic tools, right? Masking, hand washing, distancing. We do so, have additional tools. Uh, what I haven't talked about That's is the role of testing. Yes. So if uh, so many people who have COVID don't have symptoms, is there a role for testing people so that we can find them even though they don't know they're sick? And then if they have it, make sure that we do the appropriate infection prevention and control measures, which is isolating people who actually have the virus and then doing contact tracing and quarantining those who may have been exposed. That is still the mainstay of, of how to keep an epidemic or a pandemic under control. Now, we've realized across the country that in order to do that effectively, you have to do hundreds of thousands of tests. Uh, it's hard to be motivated if so few tests are actually positive, except for in, in congregate sites where people live very close together. If you don't know who's infected, you can spread it easily, inadvertently, even though you're trying to do as good a job as possible wearing your masks and gloves and, and whatnot. What happens is we've seen uh, personnel in these sites do a really good job when they're with residents. Sometimes residents will pull off their mask or sometimes they need so much help, like two-person lifts or help with bathing, um, that uh, they may not be able to totally protect themselves from residents. But then they go eat lunch, for example, or maybe go out on a smoking break and they're with other personnel. And so it can actually spread that way. So... Uh, so caution is actually still indicated, particularly in those sites where it can spread quickly. So testing is actually important. Perhaps I should mention that there are a couple different forms of testing. Uh, we talk about point prevalence surveillance, where we test people who aren't sick. Uh, but that's actually a little bit different from if you have somebody who is sick, it actually becomes very important that you do their test and take action, individually oriented action specifically for them and people around them. And then in terms of testing, what kind of testing do you do? Uh, there are tests that, that test the COVID-19 virus itself. There are antigen tests that test the proteins that house the virus. And then there are antibodies, which is your body's response to the virus. So I like that the term says what it is, which is your immune response that tells you um, if you've already had a prior infection. So those are three forms of testing. We use them different ways over a period of time. Maybe the difficulty of trying to get specimen samples from that nasal cavity or respiratory tract may become easier so that trying to do testing effectively uh, is not quite so uh, complex and, and burdensome. So I do think there is an important role for testing in addition to the social distancing that hand washing and the mask wearing that we discussed. You have been uh, what I think is a, a, 
a really good advocate for finding that balance as well, particularly for populations like ours and and the aging population and others that that there are other pieces to the puzzle where sort of stay at home or isolation really can have adverse effects in other ways. Yes. So what you reference is the limited movement. Uh, so that is hugely important. So I think when this started, uh, what happened across the state, but uh, particularly well, I think, in all of your centers, is uh, there was attention to kind of engineering controls. Where are the doors? Uh, what does the HVAC system look like? What kind of filters do you have? What kind of physical separation can you have? So there are all these engineering types of controls. There are also administrative controls, like the temperature checking, symptom checking, um, making sure that nobody's congregating. You don't have those group activities anymore, for example. Uh, and then after that, you actually get to the individual type things uh, related to, um, you know, the wearing of PPE, for example, which is personal protective equipment. So uh, if we use the personal protective equipment uh, properly, it does work, but it's not nearly as effective, uh, you know, grand scale as getting the engineering and administrative co uh, controls right. So I think we do need all three, but I think those were some of the early actions that we saw facilities uh, undertake that actually were very effective. And doing that reliably really, I think, took a lot of leadership and kind of the attitude of, you know, we will do whatever it takes to protect our residents um, and, you know, take on the education, take on the re-education, and take on just the persistence of not being tired of, of doing it. So instead of just being tired of the, you know, perhaps perceived extra hassle of putting on extra gear, it was more like, you know, we're the Ghostbusters, and this is how we, you know, get, get rid of this to protect the people who are entrusted um, to our care. So I think uh, we've seen some pretty heroic, examples of that. I think you had some earlier cases, and that's actually where I met Ginny and Jason and others, for example, who are really just remarkable um, and inspiring confidence uh, in all the centers that they actually worked in. So I, I really uh, do want to commend you and the people who work in your system for really the fabulous job uh, that's been done to date. So, so thank you. But then, of course, we see after a period of time that people Right, there is some resumption of of normal or normalcy, right? That 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 happens, and so we've got to figure out how we how we accommodate, right? The virus, understanding that the severity of it, but also figuring out how we sort of reopen, like the rest of the state all over is. Yeah. So there there are two things I think I hear in your question. Um, I, I think you've come to expect from me uh, just wanting to be anchored in science and, and the practice of clinical medicine where we really try the best we can to take care of people and give them their best chance of survival. And to that end, I think what we may not have paid as much attention to is the science of human behavior. So what happens is if people have fear uh, they do a really good job adhering to whatever it is that gets them away from whatever they fear. So we're worried about car crashes. So we wear uh, seat belts. We have all kinds of alarms. There's been a redesign of cars. And then, of course, if the weather's bad, we drive a lot more slowly. 
so we actually absolutely change our behaviors based based on fear. And uh, when they've done surveys across the country, they found that uh, about 10% of people think they will actually get COVID. And that was actually enough to see the really big behavior changes that we saw already. But now that it's not in the news all the time I, and people are not as worried that it's close to home, uh, I think it's human behavior to actually uh, not quite pay as much attention to that. So what's interesting about that is uh, one of the reasons we've done so well is because we've adhered so much. Uh, but perhaps one of the next steps we could do is continue the adherence, but then lift some of the other um, limited movement, for example, or some of the visitation. Maybe we can do distance visitation outside where there's great ventilation at a time that the weather's good, but still wear a mask and wash your hands, for example. So I do think this is about ad adapting in a way that actually is informed, still with this focus on keeping people safe. Uh, so that may be, you know, perhaps the tight spot that people are squeezed into right now. Uh, I also appreciate that depending on the type of system, there may be regulatory constraints as well. Uh, but I think one of our jobs is really just to have this relentless focus uh, on what our residents actually need. Right. Our direct support staff, their commitment to Absolutely. this virus. It was uh, some of the stories that I've heard uh, are remarkable in every possible way. And um, I mean, and they sometimes had to make a choice between the individuals they supported and their families and that choice. And they actually, you know, said, I want to stay with this individual who will, who will support them, who will care for them. If I'm not, it's, it is, it is unbelievable uh, in many ways. So we can't yeah. say about that. The other piece for all of our listeners, stay vigilant, right? On the basics, stay vigilant on the, distancing and the masking, you know, and the hand washing and, and that. And then as we enter this new phase, we'll, we'll figure this out, you know, with the expertise that Dr. Applegate and others provide and, and figure it out. We're, we've got, we've got a long partnership and we're going to do some very good things throughout all of this. So thank you for joining us on this. We might consider this part one we'll see what the future brings and, and if you're willing we'll do it again but this was very important thank you so much for having me and very helpful thank you and thank you to all sure.